We're in Acts chapter number 5 and uh, going to continue our series in the book of Acts on our Sunday evening messages. And really it has been a, a little while, I guess, since we've been in the book of Acts. I uh, had preached, uh, started in the year of 2022 on Sunday evenings in the book of Acts. Uh, took a little break uh, around revival time. And we preached some messages on Sunday evening to prepare our hearts for revival. And then had the one Sunday evening of revival. And then preached a message about Thanksgiving during our praise service. And so kind of took a break from it that night as well. And then went into some Christmas messages during the Christmas season. And so it's been a little time since we've been in here. But we're thankful to be back in the book of Acts. And we are going to be in Acts chapter number 5 tonight. I think a very familiar story. And so the details of this story tonight in Acts chapter 5 I don't think are going to be new. But hopefully at least we'll learn some truths tonight that may be able to help us as we go through Acts chapter number 5. Now, right before we touch on Acts 5 and we get to Acts 5, I want to uh, remind you of a few of the last verses in chapter number four uh, to remind you where we're at especially because it's been a little while since we had uh, looked into the book of Acts in the last part of Acts chapter number four uh, we told you that there were thousands of believers who had gathered together in Jerusalem and uh, so remember there was the time in which they were to wait there in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come and then of course the work that God was seeing done through the power of the Holy Spirit that was using these uh, apostles there in the early church Thousands now had gathered there in Jerusalem that were believers. And when we left off, the last time we uh, preached, uh, again, before the Christmas season, the book of Acts, we mentioned some uh, traits that characterized the Christians of the early church. And we saw that at the very end of chapter number 4. Now, there is, there is reason to go back to this tonight because it's going to help us as we move into chapter number 4 to see a contrast. We've got to see a contrast tonight. As we move into chapter number four. So we noticed at the end of chapter, I'm sorry, as we move to chapter five. So we noticed at the end of chapter number four, these character traits. We, we said number one, there was unity. And there ought to be unity, obviously, in the local church. And there ought to be unity in our church here at Victory Baptist Church. We think that the character trait that was seen there in the early church. And then the character trait of witnessing. Uh, they were actively witnessing and trying to share their faith with others. And then the character trait of grace. They were able to extend grace to others. God had extended grace to them. They were able to extend grace to others. And then the character trait of sacrifice as well. And we talked about the importance in our lives of uh, living in a sacrificial way where we, we give to the Lord our time and our talents and our treasures for His honor and His glory so that He can use us. And so in the end of, at the end of chapter number 4 in the book of Acts, there was harmony. There was worship that was taking place. And in the midst of this sweet spirit, we move into chapter number 5 and we see a problem. So in the midst of all of this unity and witnessing and grace and, and sacrifice that we are seeing, we move into chapter 5 and we see this problem. Uh, can I say this? There never has been and there never will be a perfect church. And so because of that, in spite again, in spite of this sweet spirit, we see a problem that creeps up. And that's where we get to in chapter number 5. Now I want you to notice the first word of chapter 5. And then we're going to move back to a couple verses in chapter 4 to, re, again, remind us of where we're at. But look at the first word in chapter number 5 of the book of Acts. It says, but. Now, any time in the Bible when this word begins a section... It helps us to look at it and consider what is taking place here. There is a contrast that is being emphasized here. 
there's a break in the chapters here in Acts chapter 4, between Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. There's a break in the chapters, but really if we were to continually read from the end of Acts chapter 4 into Acts chapter number 5, we would notice there's a contrast that's taking place. Everything's going well. There's a sweet spirit. There's unity. But something takes place. Look with me, if you would, uh, back up to Acts chapter 4. I want us to notice a couple verses that get us to this place where we understand what's going on. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 34. It says, Neither was there any among them that lacked. So again, think about all these believers there in Jerusalem, and there was none that lacked. The Bible says, For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. But Joseph, who, who, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then again we get to the, word, the first word in chapter number 5, but. And then it introduces us to this man and this woman, this wife, that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Now Satan, who is our enemy, the Bible says he's as a roaring lion and he's walking about and he's seeking whom he may devour. He's an enemy. He wants to destroy our lives. And when we think of Satan and the early church, he had failed completely in his attempt to conquer and defeat the early church externally with persecution. If you remember back to what we read in chapter number 3, remember that lame man that's sitting by the gate beautiful, uh, he's able to get up and walk and leap and praise the Lord. And then remember that crowd that gathers around Solomon's porch. And as they gather around Solomon's porch, the apostles are asked the question, what's the story behind this lame man that's been healed? And they use that as an opportunity to begin to preach. You remember that? Well, as a result of that, persecution comes. Remember, they're thrown into, into jail for a, a time. And then as they get out, of go, uh, they, go, uh, they go back to uh, their... They're, they're, they're the fellow brethren, and they begin to tell them what has happened. And it leads us to the end of chapter number 4, those verses that we just read. And so Satan has not conquered and defeated them externally through persecution or fear or intimidation. So now he's going to use his next tactic. He, he does not want to lose, does he? He wants to defeat us. Again, he wants to destroy us. So now he tries to corrupt he tries to destroy the church's integrity internally with sin. And this is where the problem lies. A sweet spirit, but a problem lies here. So we notice in verse number 1, there's this husband and wife. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they, they, they were Christians. They were part of those that were gathered there in the city of Jerusalem. But they were not living at the same spiritual level as the other Christians in the early church. By the way, when we see what happens to Ananias and Sapphira, it is a good reminder to us that we cannot see the heart. We don't know what's going on inside. We see man in the outward part of man, don't we? We see the outward appearance. But God's the only one that knows the heart. And so here's Ananias and Sapphira excuse me, with a heart that's really not on the same spiritual level as those that are around them at this time here in the city of Jerusalem. 
remember what uh, was said when uh, Samuel went to the sacrifice there to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. They thought the first son, Samuel thought the first son certainly was the one that looked like he was to be the king. But uh, man seeth not, uh, excuse me, God seeth not as man seeth. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so only God could see the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. And so I want us to notice a couple of thoughts as we go through chapter number five tonight. Number one, I want us to notice the deceit of Ananias. Notice his deceit. We introduced you to the husband and wife here in verse number one. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession. So if you remember back up to the end of chapter number four, that's what they're doing. They're trying to meet the needs of those who have, uh, 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 they, they have lack. And so they're trying to meet their needs. And so they're selling things. They're, putting, they're placing this money at the apostles' feet. And the apostles are able to distribute this as the individuals in the early church have need. Well, the Bible says they sell a possession. Look at verse number two. Let's notice the deceit behind all of this. It says, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they conspire together. What caused them to do this? Well, maybe perhaps they saw that giving of an offering, giving of a gift and laying it at the apostles' feet was something that would have received praise or maybe it would have received appreciation and they desiring that praise or desiring that uh, uh, appreciation from the apostles and other brethren that were gathered there in the, in the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps that's what made them uh, come and, and bring this gift and even claim that they had given all of the price of that possession. Perhaps they had felt peer pressure by other, everyone else around them that was offering these gifts to the apostles and using them to distribute to those that had need. One thing we do know though is they did not sell this possession and give the money that they gave to the apostles with any pure spiritual motivation. If they would have, then they would not have lied about it. But here's Ananias' deceit as he deceives, as he lays this money at the apostles' feet. But then notice number two, I want you to notice the declaration of the apostles. So number one, the deceit of Ananias, but then the declaration of the apostles. Notice what the apostles say. Look with me, if you would, at the apostle Peter in verse number three. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Now consider this before we go on any further in verse 3 and verse number 4. Consider this, that the apostles were appointed by God to lead the church. So this was the task that God had given to them. They were appointed by God to lead the church. And so as a result of that, they were being used of God as they led the church. Verse number 3 You'll notice that in verse number 3, it says that Satan has filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira to lie to who? They didn't lie to Peter, although we would say, well, technically they did. They laid this at the apostles' feet. We understand that technically they lied to Peter. But Peter says, you've lied to, you've lied to the Holy Ghost, which means you've lied to God. You, you, you have brought this, this money from this possession that you've sold... And really, you didn't tell the truth about it. They had lied to the Holy Ghost. They had lied to God. 
Now, the Holy Spirit is omniscient, isn't he? Because he's God, right? He's, he's all-knowing. He understands what's going on. He understands the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. He knew exactly what they had done in their deception, in their deceit. He knew what they had done. He had revealed it to Peter, hadn't he? Something has taken place here. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira has sold this possession. They have not given all that uh, that, that, they, that the money that they had, they had, they had got, gotten from this possession. And so the Holy Spirit, God, reveals this to Peter. Can I say this? Let's learn. I think of the Holy Spirit here in, in play in verse number three. Let's learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to our heart. As he is used to... As, as, as he ministers to us, as he speaks to us, let's, let's ask God to help us to be sensitive to that. And here, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and God reveals to Peter the fact that they had lied. Look with me, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 14. I have a couple of verses of the Old Testament I want to read about the importance of, uh, of what we're learning here in, in, in Acts chapter 5. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 14. Look at verse number 5. I'm going to talk about the importance of honesty. We're talking about lying here. Look at what the Bible says. Proverbs, and by the way, there's so many verses that we could go to here, right? When we talk about the importance of honesty and, and uh, being, uh, having integrity when it comes to telling the truth. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 5. It says, a faithful witness will not lie. Here they've lied. They've lied to the apostles. They've lied to God. They've lied to the Holy Ghost. But a false witness will utter lies. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse number 6. And then we'll look at another verse there in Proverbs here in just a moment. Psalm 51 in verse number 6. It says of God here, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God desires truth, doesn't he? He wants us to speak truth. Now let's, listen, let's not get so quick to pass over this passage of Scripture where we don't make the application of honesty here. We're thinking about them, them lying and the sin that they had committed Let's make sure we're honest. We're telling the truth. We have some character and we have some integrity with the things that come out of our mouth and our actions as far as honesty is concerned. Look with me, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, and then look with me, if you would, at verse 23 in Proverbs chapter 23. It says this, buy the truth and sell it not. All oh, the truth ought to be so important to us. That we're honest in our practices and honest in our words, honest in our deeds. Let's be honest today. We think of the declaration of the apostle here. You have lied to the Holy Ghost. Look at verse number 4, if you would. Back to Acts chapter number 5. Look at verse number 4. So they've lied to the Holy Ghost. But then look at what it says in verse number 4. It says, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. He says it a second time, doesn't he? You haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. Now, when this possession was in your hand, you had the right to do whatever you wanted to do with that possession. So the sin was then not keeping, the, the sin was not found in the fact that they kept back part of it. They, once they sold that possession, they could have done whatever they wanted with that possession. Peter very clearly declares that, doesn't he? You could have done whatever you wanted. It belonged to you. Once you sold it, you could have used that money in any way you wanted to. So that was not, the sin was not keeping back part of it. The sin was the lie, wasn't it? 
The fact that in hypocrisy, they lie and they present that gift as if it's the entire money that they had sold that possession for. Notice what it says in verse number four, if you would, there's some words there. It said, while it remained, was it not in thine, or excuse me, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Which means, again, you had the right to do whatever you wanted to do with it. You did not have to give it. By the way, if we would make application of that in our lives, when we think of what we give to the Lord, God doesn't make us give what we give to Him. We have the choice, don't we? We can choose to give or we, ha- we can choose to keep. God doesn't make us. God did not make them bring that money from that possession that they had sold. Look with me, if you would, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, because I think it reminds us of a truth here for our lives as Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 7 about our giving. Notice what's said about our giving. Because again, the sin was not in keeping it back. The sin was in lying to God, to the Holy Ghost. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity. It says... For God loveth a cheerful giver. So our giving is between us and the Lord, right? He doesn't make us give. He certainly has, in His Word, given us the commands and verses that very clearly talk to us about what we are to give to the Lord. But He does not make us do it. He won't force us to do it. So our giving is between us and the Lord. By the way, that would be true even in the finances of our church here as our treasurers have been placed into those leadership positions to be able to take care of the finances here of the church they are the only ones that have any idea here what giving comes in because it's between you and the lord nobody's regularly checking who's given and who's not given Nobody's trying to keep track of that or record of that because that's between us and the Lord, isn't it? As a man purposeth in his heart, so let him give. So can I I encourage you with this? Give as the Lord commands and give as the Lord leads. As he commands us to give, we obey his commandments. But then also as he leads, maybe perhaps as we take up special offerings, you say God would lead in a special way to give, perhaps even above and beyond what I know God would command me and what he clearly mentions in his word I'm to give. But I give above and beyond that because God is leading in that way. Not because I have to. Not because somebody's going to come to me and, 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 and get upset with me because I don't. Because that won't happen. But we give as the Lord leads. But I will say this, instead of holding back, let's learn to give graciously. Let's learn to give generously. Because we think of all that God has given to us. And God loves that cheerful giver, doesn't he? And so again, they had the right to hold on to this. They didn't have to give it. So the sin wasn't in keeping it back. The sin was in the lie that they told. And so we see the deceit of Ananias. We see the declaration of the apostle. I want you to notice number two, starting in verse number five, I want us to notice the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Look with me if we would, verse number five. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now you'll notice the great fear that came on them in verse number 5. We're going to notice that in another, in another verse here towards the end of our message tonight. So great fear falls on them. And the young men arose. Uh, 
uh, uh, wound him up and uh, uh, carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Now, where was his wife at the time when uh, Ananias was confronted about this? I don't know. I don't know where she was. But the Bible tells us the space of about three hours later, she comes in, not knowing what had taken place, not knowing the fact that her husband had been confronted, not knowing that her husband had deceived and had lied about it, not knowing that her husband had dropped dead, not knowing that they had taken him out. And it says in verse 8, And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Now, did you notice as each of them were confronted, this is so important to remember, as each of them were confronted, they both had the opportunity to tell the truth, didn't they? They were confronted, again, as Peter had already had the Holy Spirit, had God revealed to him what had taken place. And he questions Ananias as he confronts him, and he has a chance to tell the truth, but he chooses to lie. Sapphira, three hours later, has a chance to tell the truth, but she chooses to lie. And the Bible says in verse number 9, by the way, she had answered there at the end of verse number 8, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Hey, they were in this thing together, weren't they? To tempt the Spirit of the Lord. They had conspired together to do this. Look at what it says. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell, again, not even knowing what had happened, right? Then, she, then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. We see the result because of Anna, uh, the deception of Ananias. Now, I think you would acknowledge along with me that lying is always serious. Lying is always a serious thing, isn't it? Lying is always wrong. It is always sinful. But its seriousness is proportionate to whom the lie has been directed. Let me give you an example. A child lies to their parents. Obviously, there's a punishment that comes with that. A student may lie to his teacher. I've used that I don't know how many times as an illustration at the Good News Club. I talked to the children about how that you can, you, you, you can feel like you get away with things with your teacher, with mom and dad, with the principal. But God, he knows, doesn't he? And so you could say I'd the student would tell a lie to the teacher, which, by the way, Miss Dawn, that probably never happened when you were teaching, right? No, never had a student lie, right? And parents, we gave that illustration of children lying. You probably never had that happen, your children. And uh, so that those, those things can happen, and they come with punishments. I'm not sure exactly what would happen in a school, but I'm sure there's some kind of punishment that would go along with that, right? Think about lying to a judge, the punishment that would come with that, proportionate in whom, in, in, in whom the lie was directed to. But think about how serious the consequences are when we lie to God. You know, the Bible even says in the Old Testament of our Scripture, it says that it's better, even, it's better not even to make a vow to God than to make a vow and not keep it, to lie to God. There's seriousness 
in lying to God. Again, as we think of whom that lie is directed to. And the results of lying in this passage is death. It results in death. Peter had the discernment to know what had happened. But God was the one who initiated the judgment. See, Peter looked at him. He said, you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. So he had the discernment to know what had taken place. The Holy Spirit, God had revealed that to him. But God was the one who initiated the judgment. God is the one who initiates judgment today, doesn't he? He's the one that gives that chastening. He's the one that judges us when we fail to do what he asks us to do. And we would have to say this about this particular story. I think you would agree with me that this sin that Ananias and Sapphira had committed resulted in a sin unto their death. That sin was so serious in the sight of a holy God that it resulted in their death. You know, the Bible talks about in the book of 1 John, it talks about how that we can sin to the point where we've committed a sin that's so serious that the Bible tells us we would sin unto death. Our, our, our life would be taken from us because of sin that we have committed. And that's exactly what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. The judgment was immediate, wasn't it? God did not tarry with that judgment. Sometimes judgment does. God does tarry in his judgment. But in this particular judgment, it was immediate and it was real, wasn't it? As Ananias falls dead and he's taken out and then Sapphira after him falls dead and she's taken out, God's righteousness will not be mocked. And I think we see that in this verse, don't we? God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. And you have lied not to man, you've lied to the Holy Ghost, you've lied to God, and His righteousness will not be balked. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we see a lie that's sown here, and the reaping of that lie, the result of that lie is punishment. And so you'll notice the Bible tells us up in verse number 5, that great fear came on all them that heard these things. The swiftness of the judgment of God and the seriousness of the judgment of God reveals to us how holy He really is and how righteous He really is. He cannot allow uh, us to sin and, 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 and just do what we desire to do. He, he's a holy God, isn't He? He's a righteous God. And so His Judgment revealed his holiness. It revealed to us also his hatred for lying and deceit and hypocrisy. God hates it, doesn't he? God hates it when we sin. God hates it when we lie. God hates it when we're, when we're deceitful. But then notice, if you would, verse number 9. I know we already read through these verses. Notice a statement that's read in verse number 9. I kind of went over this. But it says in verse 9, Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? The Bible tells us they tempt God's Spirit. They're testing the Spirit of God in this lie that they have told. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament or Bible several times, the Bible mentions the fact that we're not to tempt God. Remember when they had in the book of uh, Exodus when they had made it past the Red Sea. As a matter of fact, let's turn there for a moment. Look at Exodus chapter number 17. Remember they crossed the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14? And then in Exodus chapter 17, the Bible says that, of course, they're, they're, they're desiring water. They're thirsty as they're, as they're wandering there. 
And in chapter 17 of Exodus, verse number 2, again, they've come out of bondage. They've come out of captivity. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're journeying. Wherefore, the Lord did chide with Moses, it says in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 2, and said, give us, I'm sorry, the people did chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? We're not to tempt the Lord, are we? And the Bible says they tempt the Spirit of God, lying to Him, and they conspired together to do that. And their punishment was real. Then let's go to the last part of this. I want us to notice two things about the last verse here. And it's verse number 11 at the end of our passage this evening. I want us to notice the description of the church. The description of the church. We've seen the deceit of Ananias. And then the declaration of the apostle. We saw the death of Ananias and Sapphira. But at the very end of this particular passage that talks about Ananias and Sapphira, verse number 11 there, I want us to notice the description of the church. There's two thoughts that I want to show you here. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says this, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Now we read the same thing up in verse number 5, didn't we? The Bible says, great fear came on all them that heard these things. I want you to notice in verse number 11 that this church is described as being a God-fearing church. They are fearing God. Great fear came upon them as they've noticed what has taken place with Ananias and Sapphira. I'd say perhaps when these events take place here in Acts chapter number 5, I would say there was some careful self-examination of motives, why we're doing what we're doing for the Lord. Maybe perhaps folks even looked in their heart after what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Why did we give the things that we gave? Did, did we tell the truth? Were we honest about that? Did we do everything that we were supposed to do? And we, did we do it the right way? Can you imagine as they have experienced these two individuals falling dead because of the lie they've told and how serious it was and how important it was to fear God. Both of them falling dead and being taken out. So the Bible says great fear comes upon them. Hey, the fear of the Lord is a powerful protection against sin, isn't it? If we fear God the way that we should fear God, it'll protect us perhaps in our life from doing that which we know we shouldn't do. And that's exactly what happened in this passage. They see what the result was. Because of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, great fear came. You know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? We're to fear God. We're to have a respect for Him and His desires for us to obey Him and do that which is pleasing to Him. And so then notice the end of verse number 11, if you would. I'm sorry, the second part of this. We'll, stop. we'll pause at a word here. It says, and great fear came upon all the church. The church. Number one, it was a God-fearing church, but number two, it was a called-out church. This is the first time in the book of Acts where we see the church described as the ecclesia. And I'm sure throughout many years of being a Christian, for some that are sitting in here, you've heard that term ecclesia, the called-out assembly. That's what we are today, aren't we? We're the ecclesia. We're the called out assembly. We are called out from the world. The Lord has saved us and he's uh, set us free from the uh, penalty of sin and the 
power of sin. And of course, as we talk about one day, even the very presence of sin. We've been called out from this world to be light in a very dark world. To be salt in a very sinful world. So as the church, we are the called out assembly. As sin was dealt with, though, as this particular passage here in verse number 11 comes to an end, a springboard for moving on in chapter number 5, as we'll do that next Sunday night, Lord willing now. We'll move on in chapter number 5. As sin is dealt with here at the start of chapter number 5, it helps us then at the end of chapter number 5 to see God's blessings now upon the early church again. See, when sin is dealt with, then God's blessings can continue. And that's what we're going to see at the end of chapter 5. Uh, think about, I think maybe the greatest illustration that we could use for that is this. Think of Joshua, and if I'm, if I'm correct on this, uh, chapter number 6 and uh, chapter number 7 is we're moving to the story of uh, Jericho. As, as Joshua is told to go into Jericho and told to destroy the city of Jericho, and they have victory over the city of Jericho, but then they move on to Ai and they're defeated. We remember why, don't we? Because Achan has taken of the accursed thing. And he's hid it under his tent. He saw that Babylonian garment and the shekels of gold, the shekels of silver. And he takes that and he hides it under his tent. And then they're not able to have victory there at Ai until the sin is dealt with. Until they narrow that down to the family of Achan. And then fam uh, the family of Achan is, is brought before and they're stoned to death. Destroyed because of what they had done. And then what happens when they go into Ai? They go into Ai and they have great victory, don't they? Because sin is dealt with. They get to see God's blessings again. And that's what we'll see here in chapter number 5 as we move on. Sin has been dealt with. Punishment, the result of the sin was punishment and God's judgment. And then we get to see God's blessings towards the latter half of the book of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the cha uh, chapter 5 in the book of Acts as we move on, seeing the blessings of God. So perhaps tonight as we're talking about the early church, man, we've seen some highlights already as we've just really now moved into chapter number 5. We've seen some highlights of the way that God is using the early church. Let's let, let's let God use us as a church. Let's make sure we stay away from uh, the uh, sinfulness and the disobedience that can creep up from time to time that would cause us to not be able to see the blessings of God in our lives. Maybe if we could just specifically, even tonight, narrow this message down to living lives of honesty, right? Live lives of honesty. Not just living lives of honesty with what comes out of our mouth, but really having the character of honesty, right? Having some integrity about us. Where if we've committed something to the Lord, uh, we're faithful to it. Oh, how many times perhaps have we... Uh, committed something to the Lord, or, or, or maybe we've said something and, and just very hasty about it and really haven't been honest with it. Maybe as you move into the year of 2023, as you make commitments to the Lord, you'd make that decision to say, whatever it is I commit to God, I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to be faithful with it and know that I, I, I'll get to receive God's blessings if I'm staying right with Him and I'm obeying Him the way that I should. And so may we glean some truths here from Acts chapter 5 tonight. Father, thank you for the passage of Scripture we've dealt with tonight here in the book of Acts and for these Sunday night Bible studies that were uh, 